millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of Believe is brought to you by Cryptid Coffee Co. Use promo code BELIEVE on checkout for 10% off their angry Yowie coffee blend. Head over to cryptid.com.au to check them out. It was just the most massive thing I've ever seen. I, to tell you the honest truth, I thought, well, we're the only ones left on this planet. Something's happened. We've missed something here. The fear that went in me when I seen it was just, um, like the feeling, I'd say it was fear, but I've never felt that feeling before in my entire life. It's a weird feeling, like you can't explain it when you don't know. You feel like you're being followed, but you don't know what it is. We had two to our right, another one in front of us, another one to the left, and another one just across the road, shaking the daylight out of the tree. All we get is a big red eye. I remember waking up and looking at the end of the bed, and there was a figure there, almost insect-like, and then I blacked out. Welcome to the show, everyone. My name is Cade Moyer, and you are listening to the Believe Paranormal and UFO Podcast. If you have had an encounter and would like to share it, please get in touch with me. My email address is believepod at gmail.com. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to leave us a rating or review wherever you listen and head on over to our website, believepod.com, and consider becoming a member to get bonus episodes and video content. So, Andrew, where did this all start for you? So, um, I lived in Port Macquarie when I was a teenager. Uh, We're talking back around 2003. Uh, And thankfully, in this case, I've actually ended up with a a bit of evidence on the internet to help me pin down when that was. But I'll get get to that a little bit later. Um, At the time, I, I lived in a pretty sort of strict parental household and I'd find any excuse that I could to get away to friends' places on the weekend where we had a little bit less in terms of rules, I guess you'd say. Um, and I had a, had a particular friend who lived sort of on the outskirts of town um, and his mum on the weekends, she was still pretty young. She still liked to go out. Um, so she would usually be away most Friday and Saturday nights. And so perfect opportunity to go over to his place and, and essentially do stupid stuff that teenagers do. Um, where his house was, uh, it sort of backed onto a large area of bushland uh, probably stretched for about a kilometre between their place, which was right next to the race course on the edge of town, uh, all the way back to where our airport is, which is sort of on the north end of town. Um, the airport was pretty much surrounded on that side by bushland as well. And between that race course and the airport, the bush stretched all the way west back into the mountain. So um, it was sort of right on the outskirts of a little bit of wilderness, even though we were pretty close to suburbia. Um, and in terms of, uh, I guess, the encounter itself, uh, it was uh, a weekend probably in early December 2003. Uh, I was about 15 um, and his brother, uh, my friend's brother, my friend and I were hanging out at the house and his mum was out as, as per usual on the weekends. 
um, and his brother had a basketball game to go to. So he was a pretty keen sportsman. Um, he had a game on that night that was closer to town and we thought, you know, we'll just all wander over there and that'll kick off our night and give us something to do. So uh, we took sort of the suburban route to the, the basketball court. So we sort of had to, I guess, take a bit of a long way around through the streets and it, it took us a fair while. We got there. Um, I think the game was about nine or 10 o'clock or something, uh, sort of when it was happening and when it finished. Um, and afterwards, usually we'd have till about two or three in the morning to get back to his place before his mum would get home. So we'd sort of learned to time that pretty well. Uh, so this time we thought, you know, we've got hours to kill. Like we're not going to go back yet. We'll do something else. So we wandered further off into town and just essentially were nuisances of ourselves. There wasn't much else to do in that town at the time as a young guy. So we'd go down to the break wall and have a chat to the fishermen and, you know, what are you catching and all this sort of stuff and ride around in trolleys and just, just be stupid. Uh, and the next thing you know, suddenly it was sort of like one one thirty in the morning, something like that, and we, you know, lost track of time. Uh, so we essentially <laughs> legged it uh, sort of down the, the, the coastal part of town back towards the, the, the basketball stadium where we'd been and we were, we were running late. Like we weren't going to get back before three o'clock. Uh, if we went back the way we, we came from anyway, which was all through the streets and, you know, just pretty much taking random left or right choices to figure out to get back to the suburb that he was in. Um, so they, those guys have sort of wandered that part of the town pretty regularly through their youth. And if we were to head further towards the airport near that bit of scrub that I talked about, there was a track that they were aware of. They'd taken it a bunch of times in the day. Um, and essentially it cut right from that airport side where the bush is straight back to that race course near their house um, and, you know, about 100 metres from their front door out the other side. Uh, so we thought it, like, if we just to go an extra bit further this way and then jump on that track, we're going to shave probably half an hour off the trip um, and it gives us a chance to, you know, not get our butts kicked for not being there when his mum gets home. So I was um, a little bit... Little bit nervous. Uh, I guess that's a bit of an understatement. I'm not overly a fan of, you know, wandering around at night, but you're with mates and stuff and you sort of just throw in the courage that you don't have and pretend everything's fine. So um, I trusted them. They, they sort of said that they knew the truck pretty well. And um, the, the time of the month it was, it was either a full moon or either a day or two on either side. So it was pretty bright. And we've been out in the dark for hours, so my vision was sort of pretty well adjusted at the time. It wasn't like we were going to go into the pitch black and, and get lost in the bush. So, yeah, we did it. We, we got to the track um, and just sort of started walking. And it was probably about 25 or 30 minute trip end to end, but that was better than the hour that we would have taken the other way. Um, and the first sort of five to ten minutes were pretty uneventful. It was it was a quiet night. Um, we could see pretty well. Sort of the track itself was about a meter and a half or so wide, and it, uh, the track is generous. It was just like a well trodden strip. It was like a like a, a fancy wide game trail, if anything else. And it just sort of clearly was where a bunch of people have walked through the years and eventually worked its way into the ground and and just became something that people used. Uh, but yeah, first 10 minutes, just the sound of the breeze and the trees, and that was about it. Um, we were in a good mood. We were all chatting, sort of, you know, just bravado and stuff as well. I, I guess they were probably a bit nervous too, so they were a bit talky. Um, and then suddenly we just heard something started moving in the bush. Um, and it was a distinctive sort of noise of something making its way from A to B, sort of 
behind us and off to one side, um, reasonable size. Like you could tell it was something big. It wasn't just like a, you know, like a bird or something running through the bushes. It was clearly something reasonably big. And we thought, you know, it's an area that's full of roos. It's that end of town is absolutely covered in kangaroos. And that was at least my first thought of what it was. Um, and, and we sort of, we didn't mention it when we heard it. I think it was more a matter of let's just keep going and that'll be a one-off thing and we won't have to worry about it. Um, but the noise didn't stop. Um, as sorry, it's a, it's a bit, um, yeah, it's a bit full on sort of going through this. Uh, it, as we kept going, the, the noise just kept pace with us. It was, it wasn't close. It would have been, you know, 50 meters or something away, maybe, um, but it just it just mirrored us. So like we would sort of walk a bit faster. Like I would sort of get the guys to pick up a bit of pace without saying anything, and it would pick up the pace as well and it would slow down. Then it'd slow down. Um, it was almost like we knew we were going to slow down before we did. Like it was that precise. Um, and that's when I sort of started to get worried. I'm like, this isn't. That's not a room. Uh, and I didn't think it was anything out of you know out of the ordinary. At first, my thought went straight to we're going to get mugged. Like I, you know, like everywhere in, in the country, there's there people dealing with homelessness and stuff. And unfortunately, you know, at that end of town, every so often people would just have to camp in the bush because there was no other options. Um, and I was sort of, sort of thinking, you know, we were making so much noise at the start of the walk and being, you know, you know, loud idiots that maybe we've disturbed someone that's camping out there and they're not happy about it. Um, but we we sort of just kept going, and I, like I did my best to ignore it. But by this point, I was I was sweating, I was shaking. Like I, I just had a bad feeling. Like I just didn't feel right. Um, and so, sort of the trail was pretty much straight from that end. Um, and it was sort of like if you can imagine, like sort of a forty five degree angle off the end of town we were in through the bush, and eventually it would sort of bend to the left, so to speak, at about another forty five degree angle, sort of and bring us towards that end of town where, where the race course was. So it was two sort of straight stretches with a bend in the middle. Um, I know that now after having walked it, but at the time it was just a sort of a leisurely straight stretch. And, and this thing was just sort of on that side following us, so to speak. And it it was sort of about that, would have been about another five minutes we'd been listening to it. It just suddenly decided for whatever reason that it didn't want to try and be quiet anymore and, I say that, like, obviously I've said it was making a ton of noise, but compared to what happened next, it was, to me, it sounded like that was about as quiet as it could have been. And then it's just picked up the pace a little bit and suddenly it was absolutely, like, deafening sort of noise. And this is 50 metres away or whatever it was. It started just ploughing through the bush. Like, it was breaking branches. It was just crushing its way through whatever it was. And that's, like, that's when I sort of first thought this isn't a person either. That's... It's just, it couldn't have been a person with that sort of noise that was making. And that's when we sort of, we lost our composure completely. Um, we were pretty much at where that bend was. Um, and, and one of the other guys sort of, like the, my mate's brother sort of said, well, look where it is and the direction and speed it's going. Like if, if we don't bolt now pretty much, like we, it's going to cut us off because it's coming on that side of the trail towards where we need to bend and go to. Um, and it, when we'd sort of paused there to figure out what we were going to do, and this is maybe 10, 15 seconds, it didn't stop. It's the first time it wasn't mirroring us. It just kept going. Um, 
we just sort of made a split decision. We're just like, run, just just go. Like, we, what else are you meant to do? Like, if we go back the other way, it was further than where we had to go. So we just bolted. Um, issue being, both of those guys were fit. You know, they played like two or three sports each. Um, you know, he played basketball. He was in the um, athletics team, all that sort of stuff. I play computer games, mate. <laughs> that was my hobby. Um, so I sort of paid the price of it for that then because I, I was instantly behind. Like they were meters ahead of me as soon as they bolted. And I, I obviously try and keep up, but I was puffed almost before I started. And I was already having trouble breathing because I was freaking, absolutely freaking out. Um, and sort of that's the first time, like once we made that run, um, and it was sort of make, plowing through with such power. It's the first time I could sort of tell, like it was on two legs. You could hear like the clear rhythm of something like crunch, 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 crunch. It had just sort of been, I think it was closer by then as well. Like you could just sort of be in this white noise destruction earlier, um, for lack of a better word. But now you could sort of hear the clear uh, definition between each of the movements and, and the damage that they were doing. Um, and it wouldn't have been going particularly quick. It's just the fact that it had such strong forward motion, like it was putting some power into whatever it was doing. Um, and like I yelled to the other guys to slow down because they they were almost that far ahead that I couldn't see them. Like even with the reasonable moonlight, they were like right down 10, 15 metres ahead of me by this point. Um, and they didn't stop. Like Of course they didn't stop. They, were, they kept running. Um, and I, I couldn't. I couldn't go any further. Like I had to just go back to a walk and it, like, obviously like your life or death sort of survival things are kicking in. But I think my adrenaline was pretty much burned out by this point. Um, you know, so I, I, I had to slow down. Um, I thought I was going to vomit. Uh, and like, I just kept yelling out to them and they, they stopped eventually. Uh, and they, they, like they turned back to, like there's not much they could do, but they sort of turned back to, I guess, give me reassurance or to sort of say, you know, come on, keep going. Um, but that, like they weren't looking at me. They were looking down the track behind me and it just like it sent, sent a chill down my spine. I, like I knew straight away um, that they were looking at whatever this thing was and it sort of only occurred to me about then that the noise had stopped and it had probably stopped for 20 or 30 seconds. Um, I think I was so swept up in getting away from it that you just, you don't, like, you tune out your other senses. Um, and, and that sort of clicked to me then. I turned around as well and right back where that bend was, which was would have been a fair way back from us now, you could only sort of see it as like a, a, a mix of shadows. You could see where the trees, saw, trees were sort of around that bend. You could see the head and shoulders, for lack of a better term. It was, it was looking out from behind... Uh, a couple of the bigger trees and a bush of some sort. Um, it was like my mate's brother, he was six foot something, like, you know, basketball makes makes sense. This thing was at least a foot taller than him. Um, the shoulder that we could see that was sticking out was, you know, probably as wide as my entire torso. Uh, I mean, I'm not a big bloke, but still. Um, and you could see the eye shine, like, I know it's eye shine now. Like I said back then, it had red eyes. Like that's the way that I interpreted it. Um, but with the moonlight that we had and sort of what I've learned since, like it, it clearly we had eye shine. It was staring straight at us. It just just looking at us. 
Um, and it had probably been there, like I said, for 20 or 30 seconds, just watching us, maybe seeing what we were going to do. Um, you know, like we froze. Like I, I lost, I forgot I was meant to run. I, I think I even forgot that I was puffed out. Like I, I can't remember. It was like, I, you know, I couldn't even feel my body anymore. It's just, it was this surreal, you know, you sort of like, you wonder wonder if it's hard to explain like it it didn't feel real like i'd forgotten that i was in danger or where i was um and this would have been only two or three seconds like it sounded like it felt like a lot longer and the way i'm describing it was a lot longer but when i turned around the guys had sort of you know fairly close behind me by that point two or three seconds it it moved from behind where it was it took one one stride one like it put its one foot forward and once the back foot came up, it had crossed the entire track and it was out the other side. Um, and that's what we're talking like a one and a half, two meter gap. And it was, it was gone. Um, we, we felt like we got a decent look at it when it crossed, like, and it was such a short, quick movement, but it sounds corny, but it was just Patty. It was the Patterson Gimblin thing. That's all it was. It was a massive thing, which, you know, looked like it was covered in hair. We could see the glint off the eyes, massive shoulders, um, swung its arms, um, clearly two legs, um, and just moved. It was terrifying. It moved terrifyingly quick. Like, it was from a standing start, and it put one leg out, and then it was into the bush on the other side, and we couldn't see it. Um, and when it sort of got into the bush on the other side, it was sort of moving relatively quietly again. Like, it's almost like, oh, it's made its point. It's scared the crap out of us. It's gotten us where it wanted us to. And now it was just hurting us. Like, it's got to the other side of the track. And sure enough, it's going to just push us back out that way. And, it, and that's exactly what it did. It just went back to, you know, 50, 40, 50 metres away and just started mirroring us again. And we, obviously, we bolted again. Like, we finally snapped out of it and we just turned around and sprinted um like i'm proud to say this time i actually managed to keep running because i now i knew what was after us and the 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 adrenaline you know backup backup bank must have kicked in somewhere because i i didn't stop and we neither neither none of us stopped before we got to to the other end of the track which We'd probably, you know, we would have been two thirds of the way by that point. So what's that? Like another five or ten minutes, we just ran, and we could hear it off in the distance, and it sort of never felt like it was further or closer away. And when we got to the other end of the track, uh, I mean, nothing, nothing really eventful happened between then and there compared to what we'd just been through. It was just, yeah, it was like it was like a shepherd. We, we'd stumbled in somewhere where we weren't meant to be, and it was putting us on our way. Um, and you know, once we got out the other end of the the track, um, it was sort of in a bit of a grassy area right at the end of a street. Uh, it was near this race course, and it was only a block or two from their place. Um, and there was one sort of solitary street light on this street, and we, you know, got over there just. And I, I was sure I was going to throw up. Like I was absolutely bugged. Um, and I just, like I said, we had to stop. Like I just needed a second. Um, and we sort of felt, not that we felt safe, but, you know, there was houses everywhere. Like there was houses close enough that we could run to a front door if we needed to. Um, not that there are any lights on. Like everyone was sound asleep. It was like 2.30 in the morning or something. Um, but we stopped under this streetlight and 
I don't think any of us had said a word by this point. Like once we'd reached that turn and we started to run, we hadn't said a word to each other. I think we just all lost our tongues. Um, and we stood there for a sec and we just watched, watched the tree line. Um, we, we knew that when we'd come out of that track, it was still there just behind us. Like we could still hear it. Um, and, you know, after a little bit, you could see, like you could see the eye shine in the trees. Just it wasn't right at the tree line. It was a little way back, but um, he or she or it was just there, just still keeping an eye on us, sort of making sure that we we left and we were going to stay gone. Um, you could see, like it was all, you know, if you've ever looked into the bush at night, it's sort of like a sea of shadows and, and your eyes can make anything out of it, you know, whatever your brain wants to see. Um, but, but we thought we could saw a little, still see a little bit of the outline of it and pretty clearly, like you could see that the structure, um, as much of it as was sticking out behind the bush. Um, and then it just sort of t- turned as a, there was a car actually, um, I was trying to think, you know, it sort of turned and wandered off, but around about that time, there was a car that pulled into the end of the street. Um, and my theory in the years since is that maybe the, the engine of that or the lights of that spooked it because it seemed pretty content just to keep watching us um but it must have decided it had seen enough and didn't want to deal with you know other humans in their big metal things so it turned off and wandered back into its home um and yeah we i think that's the first time we sort of felt comfortable to look at each other and just say you know what the f was that uh we we spoke the whole way back to their places you know like i said a couple of blocks away a few streets away um and we each made sure that we'd seen the same thing you know like talked it over um there was a few few bits and pieces that one of us might have saw that the others didn't like i said um i'm going to mention shortly where i wrote all this down at the time to keep a record of it um and in that record it mentions that it you know we, we saw that it had fur and like i don't i don't remember that personally now but we're talking 20 years ago um, so I reckon that sort of written account that we put down was a bit of a combination of what all three of us had picked up. Um, and it also mentions in there that we'd heard it sort of growl or roar. Um, I'm not saying that didn't happen now, but I can't remember that anymore either. Um, but in saying that, like I said, there's elements of this memory that are that surreal. Um, if I didn't have proof of it at the age I do now that I believed I'd experienced it back then. You'd be second guessing the whole thing. Um, but there's enough of it that sticks in my memory and the story hasn't changed through all these years. Like I've obviously I haven't told many people like you, yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty serious sort of bloke. Like I'm in scientific minded. Usually I'm, I'm curious about all this stuff. Um, but the backgrounds in psychology, um, I've studied memory and stuff. So I sort of understand how fallible it can be. Um, but you know, it, it's a sort of a different story where in this case there was three of us, um, all three of us agreed what we saw and, and we were smart enough at the time, thankfully to, to write it down somewhere, um, to record it. Uh, you know, when we got back to their place, which, you know, we did B's mum home. I'm sure that's an important thing the listeners want to know. So we, we, we had a win there. Um, while the shortcut probably wasn't worth all of that, we, you know, we got to tell you, count your blessings. Um, we didn't long story short we never took that way again we were home in time every night uh but yeah so i guess to cut to the chase it ended up that we 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 put that story down and we submitted it to australian yowie research so even back in 2003 dean's website up and running you know 
we didn't know what we like i didn't really know what a yaoi was back then i'd heard the term i'd heard the word bunyip all that sort of stuff but i couldn't have told you what one was um and clearly that's sort of what i think this was and now a quick word from our sponsor hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Also, are you wanting more content? Why not become a Believe Plus member? You'll get access to exclusive podcasts and episodes that aren't available to the public. Not only that, you'll also get our regular feed without any ads. Head to believepod.com forward slash plus to sign up today for just $5 a month. At the time of your encounter, you weren't overly aware of what a Yowie was then? Not really. Like, I I mean, you live sort of in, in you know, semi-rural sort of, small coastal town australia um there's always campfire stories right so you hear sort of stories about things out in the bush or like um we had urban legends in our town of you know like a killer clown and stuff out in the swamp just always stupid sort of thing um and i'm sure i'd heard stories about bigfoot and that sort of thing and i would have seen um my mum's pretty into a lot of the fringe topics um you know thanks mum she she brought me up from a young age to be into ufos at least um but, you know, there would have been literature and stuff kicking around the house. But I, I just at the age, I hadn't taken an interest in it. Like I was, I was 15, 16. I was too busy into my, into my computer games and sort of trying to survive high school, I guess. Um, and it, it was just one of those things where, like, we started Googling about, like, I think Yeti was what we looked up. Because that was, like, I'd seen documentaries about the Yeti and stuff. Because it was back in the 80s early 90s it was such a big you know the yeti was sort of the big thing and and my mum got sort of into that as well and you know we'd we'd get like um watch a bit of the unsolved mysteries and that sort of thing and and there'd always be segments about that that would pop up um and that was the closest to what i what we sort of thought it could have been and you know I'll say, oh, I was going to say we Googled it, but no, I don't think that was Google back then. So we, we, <laughs> we, we, we asked Jeeves trying to figure out, you know, what, what this thing might have been. Um, and yeah, it eventually led us to Australian Yowie Research, the website. And we had a look around and we thought, well, no one's going to believe us. Like it, it doesn't matter what we say to who, um, no one, no one's going to believe us, but we've got to, like we want to put it down somewhere, like just for our own peace of mind. That's actually very, very mature at that age to, you know, have such a paradigm-breaking event between three young gentlemen to want to go and put it on a public record for, I guess, infinite safekeeping. That's really, really forward thinking. Well, I think, like... I obviously sort of didn't think far enough ahead that I'm sitting here now being like, you know, thank you, past self. Like, I'm lucky that we did. Um, And I can't sort of remember what tipped us over to do it. I think the website just spoke to us so much. Like, um, it made us feel like we weren't crazy. Like, we we were reading stuff on there that sounded exactly like what we saw. Um, And just, like, 
you know, it, it was sort of this idea of like, well, you know, it might not be a one-off and it's not, it didn't just happen to us. It's weird. It's sort of like this, it didn't make what happened okay. Like we, we still sort of, you know, we obviously like I, I carry it with me enough that I still sort of, it bothers me to, to sort of tell the story a little bit, but um, yeah, it just made us feel like we weren't alone in having seen something that wasn't meant to be there, I guess. Um, and maybe that's sort of what it was, but something sort of made us think, well, we like we, we want to be part of this. We want to add what we have to the record. Um, you know, like I think for, yeah, for 15, 16 year olds, we were relatively mature. Like obviously we were hormonal messes like most teenage boys are, but um, we were sort of like the, the more academic sort of kind of kids and, um, the idea of, I guess, contributing to research, like, and that's how I sort of saw it. Was one was like, oh, cool, like someone's actually researching this. Like, um, I didn't like it. Didn't sort of cross my mind really until I got back to school a couple of weeks after, and we tried to tell a couple of friends, and the reaction that we got, like, well, yeah, someone's researching it, but maybe we should sort of keep our keep our mouths shut, um, which which we sort of did, um, I guess, to sort of cap off the story. Um, after we left the message for Dean, which which is still there, by the way, um, I've got it written down here. What uh, one thousand eight hundred and fifty in the database? If anyone wants to go have a read, yeah, I'll actually link that one in the in the show notes because you have supplied me a link with that one. So yeah, I'll I'll shoot that. If anyone wants to check it out, just go to the show notes for this episode, and uh, you can check out Andrew's uh, and his friends' encounter there. Yeah, and. Uh, like, like I said, there's a few things in the in the written version that once I'd sort of gone, I only found it relatively recently, gone back and found it. I thought, you know, like 95% of that is still how I remember it. Um, and there's just a few things there that aren't different per se. They're just like, just don't remember it anymore. Um, and I guess to, to, to cut to where the story cuts off, um, Dean followed up with me. So about a week or two later, um, we, this is so surreal because I've heard him on, I know I've heard him on your podcast. I've heard him on, um, Yowie Central and stuff as well. Uh, to think, you know, like 20 years ago, um, I spoke to him, um, he followed up, he wanted to have a phone call and I said, you know, that that's fine by me. Um, and for, for a bit of, um, comedic relief as well, I, I had one of those moments and we've all had one of these where I got home that next morning and I'm like, mum and dad, you won't believe what happened. And I got reasonable length into the story and then I realised I've just dogged myself in. Like, I've, I've just told him that we're out half the night in town um, and you sort of don't think about that first. So I was in a fair bit of trouble um, and they weren't too keen with or without that trouble of me sort of talking to the stranger off the internet on the phone, but they sort of, I at least convinced them enough to let me take the call, but they wanted to sort of sit there and listen. Um, and, like, I was... <laughs> I, I think I, I know the call recording would still exist. I reckon Dan's got it in his archives there somewhere. Um, but I'm pretty sure that I sort of tampered down the whole story when I was trying to tell it on the phone. Um, you know, like I was worried that there'd be any number of things that I would say mum and dad would just cut it off and say, no, you're done. Um, which they eventually did. They, Dean, Dean was, he, say, he sounded like he was pretty interested. You know, it was three witnesses pretty close to town. He's like, look, you know, it's not far up the highway. I could pack my stuff up and come up and check it out if you guys want to show me where it was. Um, and that was it for, for 
to the folks, you know, pretty early days of the internet. Um, a man from Sydney wants to come and visit a young guy, and, and I think they just cut it there. And, and look, they, they didn't believe us. They didn't believe me. Um, I, they didn't believe anything happened out there at all. They thought we were just chased by a homeless man or something. Like, you know, you get worked, teenagers get worked yeah. up and they embellish and they, um, it's just, just how it was. I think, like, they, it's funny because I know now, older, that my dad's had his own Yowie experience. Oh, really? Um, yeah, not as, nowhere near as dramatic as that. Um, but years and years ago, when he was a teenager, he was fishing up in, uh, near Walker somewhere in the snow with his brother. Um, and they just saw like a large sort of black figure moving up in the tree line, you know, for half a K sort of thing away from him. And they just packed up all their fishing gear and left. They, he didn't get a good look at it, but he just knew that it was out of place and it was something bigger than it was meant to be there. And he's only told me that sort of later in life. Um, so I'm wondering whether he did possibly believe me back then, but in our house, sort of mum ruled the roost. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, so um, mum was putting the hard word on him. I, yeah, I think a little bit. He's, he's he was a bit cruisier about things, but um, you know, I mean, you, your son comes home after a night with mates, and we were fifteen, sixteen. You know, mum was probably thinking, oh, they've probably you know been sneaking drinks or something as well, and they had no yeah. idea what they saw. And uh, for the record, no, we, we didn't. We were completely sober. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I just sort of just want to say to Dean that if you remember that call, it's like nineteen years ago or something now, isn't it? Um, it was real. It actually happened. Um, I know we sort of, it was, we sort of led you on and then we ghosted you. But um, yeah, look, I, I didn't have a say in that at the time. Um, I was in a world of trouble anyway. Uh, and, and sort of my experience outside of talking to him was pretty much everyone shutting us down. So we sort of just stopped talking about it. Do you um, talk to your well, friends about the encounter now or was that kind of something that was just a bit of a hit of the moment? Yeah, we experienced this weird thing and then it kind of just disappears into things, I guess, disappears yeah. into the, the ethos of, you know, mate, mateship, I guess. Um, well, there was times where it would come up and we would have a chat. Um and like that, like I said, that the story never changed. We always backed each other up for the first while. But sort of as, as school went on, um, my mate's brother sort of, you know, into his sports and stuff, sort of drifted into a different social circle to to us geeks. Um, and then my, my mate ended up moving away, um, and we didn't really keep in touch, unfortunately. And we, we've randomly come across each other a few times through the years. Uh, and one time I tried to bring it up, and he just said he didn't want to talk about it. Um, so it's not like he's, he's ever tried to deny to me that it happened. It's more so that as time's gone on, I think he's just decided to put it in a box, um, and, and keep it there, which, which is fair enough. Look, I, I, I don't blame him. Um, we're not in, we're not in contact at the moment. I mean, we're, we're Facebook friends, but it's like, um, there's no active communication at the moment. And, uh, like if he doesn't want to talk about it, I'm, I, you know, I won't follow it up with him, but, but yeah, definitely at the time we were resolute, like all three of us were, you know, certain that we saw what we saw and we ruled out all the other options. Like there's nothing that big in the Australian bush, full stop. If it wasn't a Yowie, then tell us what it was. Because it you know, you know, if there's a, a seven foot something, you know, Dwayne the Rock Johnson built a homeless man out there, um, that's an interesting, you know, 
I guess, unique situation in and of itself. And I'm saying that to try and put some levity into it, but there's nothing else it could be. Um, just, yeah. It, Would you ever want oh, to see know. it again? Give me a pair of binoculars and put me in a, uh, like a box hanging from a crane or something and maybe. Um, I know we had a quick chat before we, we, we went on air um, and sort of, pointed out a really good thing that I I 100% agree with is that once you've seen one of these things, if you've seen it up close uh, and you sort of ruminate on it a bit, and clearly I have through the years, uh, there's a very different way with how that could have gone. Um, it decided that it, like, it chose peace, if, if you know what I mean. Like, it decided we were being noisy, we were in its space, um, and the way that I've interpreted it is that it was the perfect shepherd it got to a distance behind us at a diagonal angle to shepherd us exactly where it wanted to on the track it picked up speed to spook us and make us run a bit further then it got to the other side of the track and pushed us the rest of the way um if it wanted to the way that it moved that last little stretch before it hit the track and it went quiet um and the speed that it crossed that track like 50 meters away what's that like it crossed a meter and a half in less than a second it could have caught up to us any time it wanted to and done whatever. It, you know what I mean? Like we were, you only think about that afterwards and like once you sort of, like I've thought about it so many times, um, I think we're lucky that these things are potentially as smart as they are and that it just doesn't want any trouble because if it wanted trouble, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd be here. Well, yeah, that's it. And Dean Harrison is a is a big advocate for the Yowie, you know, potentially being responsible for a lot of missing person cases in the bush. Mm. So, you know, for anyone who says that they really want to see one of these things up close or or anything like that, you know, it's a um it, it really is a double edged sword because sure you you see the the mythical beast, so to say, in person, but you may not survive to tell the story to anyone. Yeah, and it's it's like you know, there's obviously a version of the Yowie or Bigfoot in most sort of cultures and countries around the world. They're, they're seen everywhere, and it seems like different countries have different levels of aggression. Um, I think we're we're lucky that mostly in Australia, the stories you hear about they they like to just sort of spook us and bluff charge and get rid of us and that sort of stuff. But um, like you said, we don't hear the stories of the ones that don't come back. So it's a bit of a skewed data set, I guess. Um, and I'm pretty, you know, I'm well aware of stuff like a missing fall on one in the States and all that sort of thing as well. Uh, as you can tell, I've sort of gone down a fair few rabbit holes since <laughs> this sort of stuff happened as a teenager. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm fully aware and, and have great respect for the fact that if it had decided that we were worth more of its time and energy, it could have, you know, it could have done whatever it wanted. This thing is complete command of its surroundings and, and i sort of half got to saying it through the story there but i think it could completely choose how loud or quiet it wanted to be i think it was choosing to make noise i don't think it had to make noise it could probably move through there completely silent if it wanted to i think it when and where it did chose to sort of start making a bit of a ruckus to like like you would do as a dog if you're herding sheep or like you like you would do you know maybe as a hunter if you're trying to sort of 
pen things into a particular spot. It just felt like it was incomplete control the entire time yeah absolutely and i i would agree with you 100 percent on that because i truly believe that these creatures are the master of their domain and nothing else in that bush would move like that with the the knowledge and the understanding and it it wanted you out of there and it knew how to do it yeah and i mean port macquarie is not far from say places like tari um, and there's a lot of lot of stories of Yowies from sort of out west of Tari. Um, I've sort of heard a few audio reports and stuff on, on Dean's channel from that way as well. Uh, and like I mentioned at the start, this area of bush, uh, if you sort of look on Google Maps, like I said, between the race course and the airport, um, pretty large chunk of bush and, and scrub and swamp there. And then if you sort of zoom out and go west, you eventually hit a lake and mountains and it just sort of keeps on going out to farmland and out to you know, whoop whoop. So um, where it was, I thought was a bit curious. Like, and I think Dean did too, you know, like we, we're talking within a kilometre of, of civilization, so to speak. Yeah. But, um, you know, it probably had a reason for being there. Like I said, the area was full of roos. It was absolutely infested with roos. Um, so, you know, if you're looking for a feed and, and, and you're up in the mountains somewhere and things are a bit slim pickings, you you go where the food is. Uh, you know, so I, I've got no idea why it would have been down there that close to town, and, and maybe it was a one-off. You know, it might have never come that way again. So, you know, these bloody loud kids—I don't have to deal with that every Friday night. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, I just thought, you know, at the time, I thought nothing like that could be in that area. But you hear about it all the time. Um, so many reports, even on your show, uh, of sort of these things. I'm not sure whether it's over the years or what, but sort of more and more recently, they seem to be getting closer and closer to us. Um, yeah, absolutely. And it, I think it's more of a case that we're getting closer to them. You know, yeah, as our, our populations grow, that we, we need to start building, I guess, more more towards the those more rural areas. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me. And I definitely think that these kind of cases or encounters are definitely on the rise just for... You know, that reason is that we're moving more into those types of territories. So, you know, it's it's just kind of uh, an ine- inevitable type of uh, two sets of encounters are going to happen here. Mm. Yeah. And it, I sort of, I'm pretty curious about, you know, how that's all going to culminate. I'll, like, obviously, um, I'm sort of in the, 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 the don't kill it camp. I know there's two pretty specific camps with this sort of topic. Some people think we need a body for proof, X, Y, Z. Um, you know, I, I mean, personally, I don't need proof. I'm fine. <laughs> um, I've got more than enough. Um, but, you know, the, the further we sort of push and expand and stuff, obviously there's places like the Blue Mountains where they could disappear and never be seen again. But eventually, you know, you corner a, corner a wild animal especially something like this who's used to being in charge and uh, you know it's it's a bit of a recipe for some unpleasant times for whoever that person is i would say um you know like we i think humans have a way of of irking the 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 creatures in nature that we keep coming in and you know destroying their territory you know you hear the stories in the states and stuff of things going into logging camps and that and trashing everything and, you know, flipping over the generators and all this sort of stuff. Um, it's, it really seems like it's when they're pushed to their limit. Like, obviously, in this sort of situation, um, it, it shows just to get rid of us. But what if, you you know, what if as a species we just keep pushing them into a corner? Obviously, 
it'd, it'd be lovely to find out that on the news one day everyone knows that what I was saying was true and that they exist, but you sort of don't want the scenarios to have to happen to make that new story happen either. Yeah, of course, of course. I, I completely understand what you mean. And, yeah, I think it, I think it is just a matter of time. And, um, you know, I, I want to thank you, Andrew, for coming on the show. That encounter was it was genuinely hair raising and for it to happen to to you at such a young age uh would have been terrifying like let alone not even understanding what you're what you're kind of seeing but you also had the i guess the the silver lining is that you didn't experience it alone you know you had your mates there with you and that adds so much credence to to your story or even just your encounter to yourself because you know you weren't seeing things because everyone else saw the same thing, and, th- and that was it. And like, like, I, like I said, when we finally got back to that street line, I think we were all just verbal diarrhea, just trying to sort of get everything out that we'd been. You know, red eyes was the first thing that we, we all sort of said. Like it had red eyes. Like it just, it was like you know something out of a, a horror movie. Um, and, and that was sort of, that's what sort of made us all feel like you know no one's going to believe us. Like it's. It's one thing to sort of see a big ape-looking thing in the woods, but the red eyes sort of pushed it into supernatural territory for us, and like that can't be real. But like I said, as since then, sort of growing up, I've understood, you know, seen from most stories that it, it's just that that eye shine, that that night vision, so to speak, um, and it makes a ton more sense now. But back then, um, yeah, like we straight away, like we we pinned down the main details, and it was just nice to know that, yeah. You know, I wasn't losing my mind. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Believe Paranormal and UFO podcast. If you have had an encounter and you would like to share it, please get in touch with me. My email address is believepod at gmail.com. Finally, don't forget to follow us on all our social media outlets and be sure to join our Discord server to talk to other listeners of the show. You'll find all these links in our show notes. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.